The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bring us up to date on whether the current interest rate policy is likely to give us a similar recession. We welcome back Rick Reeder. He's BlackRock CIO for Global Fixed Income and head of its Global Allocation Investment Team. Rick, great to have you back on Wall Street. Thanks for having me. So where are we right now? Not too long ago, a lot of economists, including Fed economists, as well as Bank of America, others were saying we're going to recession. They've all changed their mind. Mm -hmm. Where are you? So I think, and I did a presentation a while ago, I called the, I called the U.S. economy the polyurethane economy because of how resilient it is, like one of those Tempur-Pedic mattresses, how resilient it is, that it's very hard to dent it. And you think about, I mean, the economy today versus 20 years ago, 70% consumption, 70% services. Think about it, to create a recession, if you're 70% services, which are amazingly stable, they don't go into recession, your goods part of your economy, which is now a fraction of the economy, has to have really become devastated. The other side of it that I think people misinterpret, U.S. economy is not as interest rate sensitive as it was 20, 30 years ago. People have locked in their mortgages already. The banking system runs differently. Commercial real estate gets hurt. Um, companies have termed out their debt. They don't rely on, uh, on the front end of the yield curve like they used to, the Fed funds rate. And then the last point is the big spenders on CapEx in the U.S. economy are companies, tech companies. They're not big borrowers. So I think people overestimate when the Fed raises rates this much, you hurt parts of the economy, the regional banks, the small banks, your commercial real estate, but the rest of the economy is amazingly resilient to it. So it's fascinating, Rick. I guess the answer to the question of why so many people got it wrong is they had the wrong model. Do we have to revise our economic models going forward for the reasons you just <laughs> identified? It's a different economy than it was 20 years ago. 100%. By the way, now it's a different economy today. So we try and model and project what inflation is going to look like two, three years hence. Uh, let alone for the next year. Think about now how the economy is evolving around AI and productivity and, and how jobs are going to evolve. Very hard to think about economies. People look at the analog from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and what happens when rates move. I think you have to look. I mean, we're trying to spend more time on is environmental conditions that you're operating within and what impacts it. Otherwise, you know, you talk about we have a need for more people. The unemployment rate sits at 3.5% is a structural reason. You look at, and we've talked about on your show a bunch of times, you look at the number of people hired for healthcare, education, not interest rate sensitive. There's a shortage, leisure, hospitality, hotels, restaurants. There's a shortage of people. When you have a 3.5% unemployment rate, because it's structural, it's pretty hard for the economy um, at good wages pretty hard for the economy to go into a deep recession when so much of the economy is consumption. So, so let's take a look at, at the investment uh, mm -hmm. profile, given what you've just said. Uh, where does the 10-year want to be? Because so many investment decisions are really keyed off of where the 10-year yield is. Where does it want to be right now? Because I hear people <laughs> saying in the mid-threes, low threes. I hear people say in the mid-fours. So, you know, I think, you know, around 4%, I think, is a reasonable resting place. You know, my sense is there's a couple of, a couple of factors that work against one another. The first one is Treasury's issuing an amazing amount of supply. We're going through uh, the issuance, and the Treasury just announced they're going to increase the supply longer on the curve. They relied on immense amounts of Treasury bills. You're seeing this almost, almost $300 billion a week gross supply, not net, but gross supply of Treasury bills. So you're going to get more supply. So that tends to push rates a bit higher. However, 
Inflation is coming down. You look at the CPI data, and I was looking at the three-month moving average of core CPI. If you if you uh, if you strip out some of the used this funky used car stuff, is only one percent. So now you take okay, so you're, it's actually one point one percent three-month moving average. So you say okay, ten-year note now the real rate net of inflation. It's not bad. I mean, the level on 10 years. So I don't think we're going very far. I think the supply could push 10 years a bit higher. If you said to me, where are we going to be six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now, I think the 10 years is going to migrate lower. Because if you believe that inflation is coming down, which I think is right, then the 10 years should start to move closer to three, three and a quarter. And I think we'll see that next year. But you know, for the next couple of months, it's sticky at, uh, at these levels. We had so many debates about hard landing, soft landing, what kind of landing. You suggested maybe we may not have a <laughs> landing at all. Yeah. Uh, so given that, does that change your investment outlook right now? Does it change how you invest yeah. your money? So I would say one thing about it. I mean, I think the economy is moderating from extraordinary 12.3% nominal GDP in 21, 7 and change percent in 22. That is unbelievable. I'm not saying we can't slow a bit. And you know, even could you have a technical recession? I just think like you'd have to wake people up and tell them because you're operating at such a high level in the economy. So how do we think about it? Listen, I think there are a lot of you know, equities that make sense today. The equity market's had a really good run. Seven stocks, eight stocks have driven it. There are a lot of companies. If you believe the economy is stable, you can buy a lot of businesses that trade at three, four, five times cash flow. If you believe the economy is stable, autos, airlines, home builders, some of the energy infrastructure, trade at pretty low multiples. So I like owning the equity market, so I like running portfolios. I think you have upside in equities. And then you can create amazing amounts of carry. The front end, I'll talk about the front end of the yield curve. You can buy commercial paper buying 6%. Mm. If you can create a 6 and then own some equity, and by the way, it gets to your point about do I need to own a lot of 10-year or 30-year treasuries? That at 4, like I don't know, not that interesting. But I can buy a lot of front end, a lot of yield, and then buy some equity. And, and so get some upside with some, with some real income. On the equity front, talk about the discount rate. Because we're up now yeah. uh, north of 5, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, some people think it's going to come back down next mm -hmm. year fairly quickly. Other people think it may stay up there. That really affects the value of those equities and the valuations you're talking about, doesn't it? A hundred percent. And so, my, by the way, my base case is that inflation is moderating. Those real rates we talked about should come down with a Fed that's starts to, that is now stable and will start cutting rates. So I think the, the, the equity market next year will get a nice boost from what I think will be a reduction in the interest rate. By the way, credit spreads are also really tight. Companies don't borrow off. They, they borrow off of their spread to treasuries, and it's they're pretty tight. So the discount rate is, is not bad today for equities, but it is uh, my sense is it's going to come down from here. So you weren't anticipating Fed cutting rates next year. Yeah. I mean, how early and how much? I mean, I think the Fed would like to stay on hold for a period of time, but I think as you get into the second half of the year, then uh, and you know maybe earlier if inflation decelerates quicker, I you know can you do start to do 25s a meeting? I think so. I think so. I think these listen. I think these restrictive rates. You know, I my my sense is I would talk about your show a lot. There, because the economy is not as interest rate sensitive as it used to be, those restrictive interest rates really hurt small banks. They really hurt commercial real estate. They hurt targeted parts of the economy, which, quite frankly, I think have been overdone. And the other thing they really hurt is the U.S. government is running over $30 trillion in debt. The Treasury has usually borrowed its Treasury bills at zero, with a huge part of their, of their borrowing scheme is at zero. Now it's at 5.5%. 
the debt service in this country will choke the amount of fiscal spend that we can have in the country. The Fed needs to bring the rate down so that we don't create too onerous a problem in terms of debt service in the country. Since we last got to talk to you on Wall Street Week, you've got a new gig. Uh, right. It's an ETF. Yeah. Tell us about the ETF and why you're doing it. What's the itch that you're trying to scratch that hasn't been scratched? So there is, I mean, the explosion of ETFs, people use them in so many different ways. You can trade them all day. Um, they're, tax, they're tax efficient in many ways. People like to put them in models. They say, I've got this ETF, they, can, they buy and sell. Anyway, so we've been asked to do an active ETF. And so there's been a, a tremendous growth of passive ETFs, both in credit and rates, et cetera. And now you're seeing more people want active. So give me, in fixed income, most managers outperform indices um, consistently over time for a variety of reasons. There's 68,000 fixed income securities. Compare that to the S&P 500. Mm. There are so many tools we have. And so people have asked for, gosh, I'd love to get the exposure in an ETF form. Give me something that can get me a little bit more juice. And so in this new one we're doing called Bink, it, you know, we've got, it's a 7% yield. You know, we manage, you know, sometimes we're in securitized assets, sometimes we're in high yield, we move it around tactically, credit, investment grade credit. And to get that sort of yield and then have somebody, it's hard as an individual to buy securitized assets. You can buy CLOs or commercial mortgages. To many people, like evaluating the collateral is hard. And so, you know, we've been doing it for a million years. And uh, so anyway, it's become a really attractive and it's, there's a lot of excitement around it. So Rick, explain the mechanics of this. We hear so much about private credit and mm -hmm. the growth of private credit. How does something like your ETF interact with the big private credit guys? Oh, wow, that's a great question. So private credit today, you think about how the world has evolved. We talk about carry and we talk about income you can get today. Private credit now, you know, versus private equity. Private equity is hard because you can't, with rates where they are, with the public market rates, because we can create a seven in liquid markets. We talk about through the CTF. Now private credit's got a price behind that. And by the way, private credit incorporates also real estate financing, et cetera. You can get private credit at 10, 11, 12% with real collateral, real covenants, and create a really nice structure. So I think private credit's gonna grow the next few years. Harder for private equity when you have to finance at 12 than, uh, than when you finance at uh, you know, mid, mid, uh, mid single digits, mid to high single digits. So you know, it's a really big deal. I think private credit will be, you'll see a lot of people you know, buy things like you know, the, the ETF where you can come in and out of it, get some real yield, and then also say, you know, private credit, I'm gonna own that for three years, five years uh, longer. Okay, Rick, it's always such a treat to have you on Wall Street. Thanks you so much. That is Rick Reeder of BlackRock. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.